Thank you so much for checking out the Christian Church of Clarendon Hills podcast. We hope that you enjoyed today's sermon. We invite you to stop by www.cccch.org to find out more about our church and to make plans to visit us on a Sunday morning. Paradise. When you hear that word paradise, what comes to mind? For some, maybe it's the white sandy beaches on an ocean coast. For others, it might be the powdery slopes and the fresh mountain air. And for others, it's that time with family at that lake house in the woods on the private lake. I don't know about you, but everyone has a picture of paradise in their minds. And that's right, if your kids or students just got excited when we showed this last picture of paradise, you can tell them about Fortnite later, catch your parents up to speed. <laughs> so when it comes to paradise, there's, there's some of you that over these past few weeks, you had to cancel your trip to paradise over spring break. In fact, for my wife Maria and I, we had a trip to our paradise to a sandy beach in just a couple weeks from now. And It was just going to be the two of us with no kids. Toddlers are at grandma and grandpa's. And so a few days away, anywhere really would be paradise, but especially to our favorite location. Some of you are in process right now of trying to figure out, do we cancel our summer plans to our paradise? What's that going to look like? See, an escape to paradise, I believe, is... (laughs) Just what the doctor ordered for many of us as soon as we get through this pandemic. Now, no matter where paradise is to you, I think we would all agree on one thing. It's this. It's that paradise is a place where we escape the daily grind of life. Paradise is a place where we escape the daily grind of life. Whether it's escaping the normal, busy rhythms of everyday life or it's escaping the sufferings and the hardship that life has brought upon us and life sometimes brings upon us, an escape to paradise is what so many of us look forward to in our lives. This is why the phrase looking forward to the weekend is something that we commonly share every single week. Yet what if paradise is more than just an escape? What if getting to our paradise after this pandemic passes doesn't satisfy those needs and desires within our hearts? What if an escape to paradise is actually selling short the true definition of paradise? This morning, we continue on in our series entitled Last Words of Jesus as we look at the last words that Jesus spoke as he hung on the cross. And today, Jesus has a word for us about paradise. And we've been looking at the last words of Jesus over these last few weeks because we would all agree that any last words that are spoken by anyone in this life are powerful words. They're impactful words. They influence us and they change and alter the way we live our life for the rest of our lives on this earth by what they have to say to us right before they pass from this world into the next. And so for Jesus's last words, we find these in a biography written by a guy named Luke. In our Bibles, we refer to this as the Gospel of Luke or Luke, the book of Luke. So if you have a Bible, go ahead and turn to Luke chapter 23. We're going to be starting in verse 39 in just a moment. 
As well, the verses are going to be up on the screen throughout the entire sermon. And while you're turning there, I just want to remind you that here at CCCH, we teach from the Bible every week because we believe God has primarily spoken to us through his word. And not only do we believe the Bible, God's word is true, but that it's very applicable to our lives today. So before we jump into this story, let's catch us all up to speed as to where we're at in the story of Jesus on the cross. He's actually been hanging on the cross for a couple hours at this point. He has endured the mockery and the shaming and the insults that have come from the Roman soldiers and have come from the Jewish religious leaders. And now he is suffering just to breathe. He is suffering just to stay alive. And it's in this suffering that we realize the physical suffering isn't the most gruesome thing he's enduring at this point. The greatest suffering he's enduring is taking on the punishment for my sins and for your sins and for the sins of the world, both past, present, and future. And so this is where the story begins here in verse 39. Go ahead, if you haven't already, we're there, and we're going to read starting in verse 39. One of the criminals who hung there hurled insults at him. Aren't you the Messiah? Save yourself and us. But the other criminal rebuked him. Don't you fear God, he said, since you are under the same sentence? We are punished justly, for we are getting what our deeds deserve. But this man has done nothing wrong. Now, there are two criminals that are hanging next to Jesus on the cross, one on each side of him. And the first one, he joins in with the religious leaders and the Roman soldiers, and he begins to insult Jesus and mock him and shame him and say, hey, if you're this Messiah, if you're this king, if you're the one that's supposed to save everyone, how about you get yourself down off the cross? If you're this all-powerful God, not only get yourself off the cross, but how about you help a brother out? How about you get me down from the cross as well? Now, you may be shocked or surprised by his response or his mockery, But I think what's more shocking is the response of the other criminal. He rebukes him. He challenges him. In verse 40, he says, don't you fear God? That question is not to ask him, hey, aren't you scared of the judgment that God's going to bring? Are you scared of this all-powerful God? Are you scared of the power of this person next to you? The idea of fearing God is to show a reverence of the authority and the power and the strength of the person that was hanging next to him, Jesus Christ. Recognizing the fear of God for us is a recognition that there is someone greater, someone more powerful that we can turn to in times of need. See, the criminal, he knows that Jesus doesn't deserve to be on the cross with him at that point. But the the other two? Himself and the other criminal, they rightly deserve to be up there. You know, this past Friday, we had our Good Friday and Stations of the Cross online experience right on our Facebook page. And if you weren't able to watch that video and and walk through it, I would encourage you after the the service is over today, scroll down a little bit on our Facebook page and take time to watch that video and reflect on the reality of the cross of Jesus Christ. And the reason I bring that up right now is because we talked about this concept specifically in that experience. That the two criminals there 
should have been crucified. Jesus himself did not deserve to be crucified. But there's more than two criminals that deserve to be crucified in that moment, that deserve the punishment for their sins. I'm one of those criminals. You're one of those criminals. We all deserve that righteous punishment for our sins. Because of our imperfections, because of our shortcomings, as the scriptures say, the penalty for sin is death. And it's not just a physical death that we will all experience someday when we pass from this world to the next, but there's also a spiritual death, a separation from a perfect God in heaven forever. I deserve that. You deserve that. We all deserve that here this morning. Yet the significance and the good news of Jesus' death is that the just and perfect king who didn't deserve to be crucified, he took our place on the cross so that you and I could be saved from our just and righteous punishment. The Apostle Paul right, talks about it this way in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21. He says it this way, God made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. This idea of Jesus being made sin is not that Jesus sinned. He lived a perfect life. But by being made sin, that means that all the punishment for sin was put upon Jesus on the cross. So that the unrighteous and imperfect person like me didn't have to suffer the consequences for my sin. You know, there's a theological term for this. We've shared it here before on a Sunday morning. And if you haven't heard, it's a game changer when you begin to understand this word. So the, the, the concept, this theological word that describes this whole process of putting one's faith in Jesus' death and resurrection so that I don't have to be punished for my sins and can have life forever. But the word is justification or being justified. And the idea behind it is that when God looks down at us and he looks at our heart, he sees someone who is perfect. He sees someone, here it is, just as if they have never sinned. Because of one's faith in Jesus, God can look at us and see us as just as Someone who has never sinned. It's like he takes a new lens, he puts on a new pair of glasses, and he looks into our heart and declares us perfect and holy and righteous, even though we know we're broken and sinful and messed up and imperfect. It's like he gives us a new filter, and if we took a selfie of our heart, this new filter would show no blemishes, nothing wrong, absolute perfection. But did you catch the key part of that description of justification being seen by God just as if you had never sinned? It's open to everyone. Anyone can experience this justification, this being saved by grace type experience. But you have to put your faith in Jesus. You have to put your full confidence and hope and belief that it's only Jesus that could save you and redeem you and give you this new life and new relationship with God right now and forevermore. So there is a humbling aspect when it comes to justification. There's a humility that is needed within one's heart in order to experience the fullness of being justified, being counted as someone who has never sinned. And it's exactly the type of humility we see in that other criminal here in verse 42 as he says this one sentence to Jesus. Look at what he has to say. 
Then he said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. It's a powerful statement. He knew that this guy next to him, he was a king. But he didn't have an earthly kingdom. He knew Jesus wasn't going to come off the cross and establish his earthly kingdom in that moment. And he also knew that he was going to die. He was expecting Jesus to die in that moment. But there was a confidence, even though he didn't understand the fullness of what he was actually declaring to Jesus in that moment, that he wanted to be remembered by the king. He wanted the king's presence in his life. You know, there was many others around him. The other criminal, the religious leaders, the Roman soldiers. They were yelling and mocking and saying, hey, if you're really this king, save yourself. Get yourself off the cross. Establish your kingdom. Show us who you are, big, strong, tough guy. But for this other criminal, even in his limited understanding of the saving power of this crucified king, His humility and his desire and his passion is what we should grasp for this morning. It's what we should desire in our hearts this morning to be remembered and known and cared for and loved by the crucified king. It gets even better. Look at verse 43. This is how Jesus responds to him. His last words statement. It says this. Jesus answered him, Truly, I tell you, today you will be with me in paradise. Truly, I tell you, today you will be with me in paradise. That, that first word there, truly, is so significant and so powerful. It's a word that Jesus says multiple times throughout the gospel narratives. And when he said truly, what he was declaring is that he has the power and strength and authority that whatever he's about to say or whatever he's about to claim to do, it will happen. It is absolute truth. You can't just throw that word around back then. We say it all the time in our language today, but for Jesus, that was a a sign of absolute power. It was a declaration of absolute authority to say and come through on what he said he would do. And so he's guaranteeing this criminal that when he passes from this world, today, immediately, he will be with Jesus in paradise. So what did Jesus mean by paradise? Well, it was actually a pretty common word that was used throughout the New Testament. It was a a very well understood word in the Jewish culture through the Old Testament as well. This idea of paradise is a place of perfection for perfect people in a relationship with a perfect God forever. They would get to be in the presence of a perfect God forever. And who was about to be ushered into paradise? Who was about to be considered just as if they had never sinned? Because of his faith, the criminal was. And so this leads us to our big idea this morning. If there's one thing that you can take away from the text... If you're taking notes at home, you can write this down. It's this. It's that Jesus' presence is our paradise. Jesus' presence is our paradise. Though this criminal was suffering, he knew that in a little bit, he would get to a place where he would be a part of a kingdom where there'd be no more pain and no more suffering. But even in that moment of suffering, hanging on the cross next to Jesus... 
He didn't ask to come down. He didn't ask to get removed from his suffering. What he asked for was to be remembered by the king. What he asked for is to have the king's presence with him in that moment. He didn't say, Jesus, save yourself and then save me. He said, as I endure this and go through this, Jesus, I need you. And I still don't think he understood fully what he was asking in that moment, but it didn't matter. What he knew for sure is that life with the king Having the king in his life, being remembered and known and loved by the king is all his heart ever really needed. There would be nothing else that could satisfy his heart right now as he endured suffering, as well as whatever this next life brought for him after he passed from this world. You know, there's there's just something so powerful in this exchange between the criminal and Jesus. And I think there's just something so relevant to what you and I are enduring right now in this worldwide pandemic. Like thinking and having this mindset that once this pandemic gets over, then we can get back to our paradise or experience paradise. We can, once we escape from this pandemic, things will be okay. If that's our mindset, and I know that's been my mindset plenty of times over this, these last few weeks. I think if that's our mindset, then we're believing the biggest lie that Satan wants us to believe in this time. Escaping from this pandemic is not going to be what satisfies our hearts. Having the idea of, you know, I'll get my paradise once I get that new job or I'm no longer furloughed and I'm back to working. Or or, I'll get my paradise when my checking account or my retirement fund get back to where it needs to be. Or I'll get my paradise when I can go to my paradise here in a few months. Or I'll get my paradise when I no longer have to homeschool my kids Monday through Friday. Or I'll get my paradise once the quarantine is lifted and we can get back to normal life. Or I'll even get my paradise if I can just get some 65 degree weather days here in Chicagoland so we can get the kids outside. Like an escape to paradise is not really paradise. We don't need to cope or dope or push away these feelings and these struggles and these sufferings that we are having right now. We need to lean into them, believing that Experiencing an earthly paradise, a temporary escape, is never going to fill the need in our heart for something greater that God has put in our hearts to have his presence with us in all of this through a saving relationship with Jesus Christ. Can we we just be real for a second? I think this has hit many of us so hard, especially here in the heart of the western suburbs of Chicago. I know other people are, are watching and tuning in that aren't in this area, but this is your home church and you live in this area and you're watching. I think you maybe sense this around you, that this idea of even quote-unquote making it here in the western suburbs or being a part of this amazing community with the amazing schools and having the house with a picket fence and 2.5 kids and 2.5 dogs and enjoying all of that, being the most successful or pursuing success or or giving off your best or posting on social media that you have it all together and that your family's got everything under control and everything's okay, it just doesn't satisfy. 
It still leaves us craving for something more. And then in this pandemic, we're in a culture that is craving margin, craving time with family because we're too busy and we're too overworked. And now that we have it, we're ready to push it away. And we just go back and forth and back and forth swing the pendulum. I want this or I want this and I want this and I want this. And let me be clear, none of those things that we experience are inherently bad. They're not. But when they become what we're focused on, when they become what we desire and crave, our hearts They miss it. Our hearts don't get filled the way our hearts do get filled when we crave the presence of God in our lives. Jesus wants to be here with us today. He wants to encourage us and give us peace and comfort. And he wants to make it very clear that he didn't die and rise again so that we could see him someday in a perfect paradise. He wants to give us his presence so that we can experience paradise with him right now. Now, the great church father, St. Augustine, he wrote it this way. Our hearts are restless until they can find rest in you. Our hearts are restless until they can find rest in you. Our hearts will continue to be restless and crave everything else in this world to satisfy us until they find their rest in you, Jesus. And I know I've been struggling with that. And I know probably many of you have been struggling with that as well, especially in this pandemic we are enduring. And so this message this morning is just as much as it is for me as it is for anyone else who's watching, is that the only paradise that we'll ever experience that will satisfy our hearts is having the presence of Jesus in our life. And so if you're watching this morning and you're saying, I want that, I need that, you can make that decision today by faith to begin a relationship with God forever. You can be just like that criminal on the cross and you can say, Jesus, remember me. Jesus, I I need you. Jesus, I need your salvation. Jesus, I need your peace. Jesus, I need your presence. Jesus, I just need you. I need your forgiveness. I need your mercy in my life every single day. And so if you would like to make a decision right now to trust in Jesus as your Savior, and begin a forever relationship with him that gives you that paradise, his presence right now and into eternity, you can do that here in just a moment. It's so simple. It's simple as your ABCs. Three different things you can declare to Jesus this morning. The first one is this, is A, you can admit your sin to Jesus. Admit your sin to Jesus. Tell him that you're broken. Tell him that you're messed up. Tell him that you, that you fall short. Tell him that you're imperfect. He already knows. And you're part of the crowd You're part of everyone else in the world, myself included, that has to admit that and knows that deep down that there is something imperfect inside of me that separates me from a perfect relationship with a perfect God. Admit your sin to Jesus. And secondly, B, you can believe in the death and resurrection of Jesus. Believe, having full confidence, even though you didn't see it happen 2,000 years ago, that Jesus not only died on the cross, but he rose again three days later. In fact, Paul writes about this in 2 Corinthians. He, he tells us that it, it, without the resurrection, our faith is useless. Without the resurrection, we shouldn't be Christians. Without the resurrection, there's no reason to pick up our Bibles and do the things that Jesus has called us to do. Without the resurrection, we shouldn't be gathering online today. But because of the resurrection, we have hope. And because of the resurrection, we know we can experience the presence of God in our lives right now 
and into eternity. Because of the resurrection, we know that the death that Jesus took was sufficient for the punishment of our sins to be wiped away and for the slate to be clean so that we could experience justification. So believe in the death and resurrection of Jesus. And the last one, letter C, is confess that your Lord and Savior is Jesus. Confess that your Lord and Savior is Jesus. Confess, declare to him right now that he's your Lord, that you want him to be in charge of your life, that he's leading every action, reaction, thought, everything. You want Jesus to be in control of that. That's declaring him as Lord and declaring him and confessing him as Savior, saying, Jesus, you're the only one that could save because you're the only one that conquered death and sin once and for all. And so in the moment, I'm going to lead us in a prayer that you can pray in the quietness of your homes right now. You can declare this out loud or you can speak it in your heart and your thoughts to God because he hears your thoughts. And um, there's no special power in the words that I'm going to have you repeat after me in this prayer. The special power comes from you declaring it in your heart of hearts that what you want right now is true that you are saying to Jesus in this moment. And so I'm going to pray and you can repeat after me and after I'm done praying, I'll lead us into our time where we get to reflect and remember the death and resurrection of Jesus through communion. So if you've never made that decision, you can repeat these words in this prayer after me and say these and declare these to God in this moment. Dear Jesus, I admit to you today that I have sinned and that I'm not perfect. I admit that my sins separate me from you. I believe you died on the cross to take the punishment for my sin. I believe you rose from the dead to overcome the power of sin and death. I confess that you are the only one that can save me because you died and rose again. I confess that you are Lord over my life. I confess that you can be in control over my life. And by faith, I accept your grace and forgiveness today. By faith, I confess you as my Savior. I am confident when I pass from this world someday, I will spend my eternity with you in paradise. And I am confident today in this moment that I can experience paradise with you right now. Thank you for your love for me, Jesus. Amen. We hope that you've enjoyed today's sermon. Please check us out at www.ccch.org and plan a visit for next Sunday. We would love to see you.